one of the most powerful passages in scripture. It is quoted frequently. It shows up on gift cards and in sermons. It shows up in devotionals in our house churches. Lines of it show up in our prayers. But are we handling this chapter correctly? Well, almost certainly not. You see, we are humans. We are creatures of our culture. We are encapsulated in time and space. And whenever I read Romans 8, I'm going to be reading it from a possession of somebody who lives in this country at this time, who had these parents and was trained in this particular religion. That makes it difficult sometimes to really get the depth of what Paul is doing here. I hope we can get as many barriers out of the way as possible because Romans 8 is amazing. But there we run across a problem. We call it Romans chapter 8. The Bible wasn't divided into chapters for many, many hundreds of years. And therefore, to call it Romans 8 already lifts it up out of its context. Those of you that have been with me on this midweek Bible study series where we're going through the New Testament in the order in which the books were written already know what Paul was going through because you've gone through 1st and 2nd Corinthians and you understand that Paul is now sitting down with all of that going on in his head and in his recent past and actually some of it's still going. He's writing a treatise. He's trying to get the, uh, the grace of God, the law of God, everything which is happening now and put it into a place that will avoid future first and second Corinthian issues. So knowing that we start by reading a couple of verses and then throwing the brakes on and talking about some mistakes and misuses people use. Romans chapter eight, again, artificially lifted out of context. Therefore, the first word, therefore, when you see a therefore, you need to know what it's there for. And we have just been talking in Romans about the fact that everybody sins. Those with the law, the Jewish people who had the law, sinned. Those without the law, sinned. Paul then goes on to say that some of those without the law actually kept the law better than some of those who didn't have the law. And sadly, it is true. You and I look at each other, we know this in our experience, there have been many times, or at least sometimes in our lives, where we have been treated much, much worse by people who claim to be Christian than by people who claim no faith at all. We've had kind atheists and very unkind Christians. That's what Paul's talking about. You're going to find that some people with the law act like they don't have a law. And some people without the law actually keep the law. But the fact is that we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death. And then in chapter 7, he talks about how wretched we are. And Paul talks about, he's talking about himself now. He's not the standard preacher standing up there going, you lot, you are horrible sinning people. No. What he's doing is saying, I'm a horrible sinful person. Paul, I'm a horrible sinful person. But Patrick is as well. And, and so is everybody around. And he brings up this, this beautiful, it's like a poem 
what I want to do, I end up not doing. What I say I will not do, I, I, I do that. I fail. Uh, I'm a wretched man. Who will save me? And then he swings into the chorus saying, Jesus will save us. Not just Paul, not just Patrick, but you and your neighbor and the others. So that's what this is there for. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, in my particular former religious tribe, most of the time they'd slam on the brakes here and then warn you that no condemnation only applies to those who are in Christ Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, what a coincidence, they happen to know exactly what it took to be in Christ Jesus or to be out. Now, to be fair, this is what they were taught. This is what I taught. They will then go in and, and say correctly that the only two places in the New Testament that discuss how to get in Christ refer to baptism. Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 3. Absolutely correct. We are baptized into Christ, baptized into Christ. So that baptism, we believe, is water baptism, immersion. Although I am aware that some of the early church fathers believed that it was a baptism, a spiritual baptism, where you are immersed in Christ spiritually. I, I don't think that one opposes the other. I, I believe that going into the water of baptism, you are also asking God to surround you and baptize you with the Spirit of Christ. But that's not the subject. If you then say, all right, I was baptized, so I'm in Christ, the response for a lot of these people, whether they're Calvinist or my old tribe or a bunch of them, or Roman Catholics, even the Orthodox, is, well, you also have to be okay with his church, the one true church. And it's always theirs. Uh, and by the way, cults do that as well. You know, Scientology, uh, all of the, we're the only way. Everybody else is really bad people. And so in Christ, the baptism alone just won't do it. It's Jesus plus all of this religious tradition, the barnacles on the ship, you know, everything which is accrued over time, that's in there too. I've even been to churches where and some of you will not get what I'm about to say, um, where they would gather the men to wait at the table. What this means is that as they're going to um, pass the elements of communion around in trays, that um, these men would step up there. And generally the one, in, it's always men in these tribes. And the one in the middle would uh, open his Bible and read a couple passages. And then they would say a prayer and then they'd pass the bread. And then they'd come back up and say another prayer past the cup. Nothing wrong with anything there, except the exclusion of women. But I've seen them say, oh, you know, Larry can't do it today. He, he doesn't have a tie on. He doesn't have a jacket on. Seriously. Or little Larry can't do it today because he's 12, but he hasn't been baptized yet. So he can't pass. The absurdities that we pile on and pile on and then say, if you're out of line with any of this, you're not in Christ Jesus. Normally we wouldn't even put it that bluntly. We would just say, well, it's not up for us to say, <laughs> but, but the implications were pretty plain. 
Oh my goodness. You see, this is this is great evidence of the grace of God. He didn't kill me. He didn't kill me when I taught this and he hadn't killed them. And he's gonna save me and he's gonna save them because he's a good God. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, please, the law of the spirit that brings life to you is not human words or our inferences after reading scripture and sitting around and thinking about theology. The spirit brought us life. Christ is a reason. It's the new law. God has made a new law for the universe through Jesus. Not like the old one. In fact, it goes what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be an offering. Um, the NIV once again causes trouble with its translation here. I like the NIV, I use it extensively, but whenever it hits, for example, uh, something that says flesh, it'll usually pop in sinful nature. Flesh and sinful nature are not the same thing. All right? Some people love to argue this point and they'll go, no, no, no. Uh, your sinful desires are because of our fallen state. Perhaps, but biologically, I was designed by God to procreate and that sex would be enjoyable. And since there are limits on that, humans, their desire doesn't go away, but there are limits in place. So my flesh does cause trouble. Or yesterday, uh, we had a big potluck at our soundstage. It was the first time we've done it, and man, was it fun. It had more food than, and, and the love in the room was just incredible. Wish you could have all been there. Please remember, if you can ever get to Middle Tennessee, we would love to host you at our soundstage. Those of you that are giving to allow us to keep this ministry growing, thank you. And please do hit the bell, subscribe, hit like. It means an awful lot to our algorithms and the way that YouTube or Vimeo will treat us. So that's it. There's a big buffet there. And we can make all the jokes in the world, but overeating is not good for us. And God does teach us against gluttony. Did I have the desire to eat more? Yes, I did. And I knew where it was. I knew where the desserts were set. I always eat dessert first because Jesus could come back and you'll never regret not getting through the broccoli, but the pecan pie, you would hate to, for, to be in glory forever thinking about that pie you missed. So I wanted to, but I didn't. Those desires are not because I'm a sinner. It is because I'm human. I'm a person. So NIV doesn't do us a good favor here. Um, those of you, I've been asked several times um, buying a book, you know, a Bible for a friend. If, and I don't mean to be, um, no matter how you say this, it can come across as if you're being elitist. But if somebody reads at a good 12th grade level or above, the new revised standard version, I didn't like the old one, but the new revised standard version 
is really good. There are other really good ones out there, and I still like the NIV, and like I said, I still use it extensively, but I'm just, you know, read the footnotes here when it goes weakened by the flesh. It just means the desires of the flesh and any desire of the flesh, which is not bound by limits, will cause trouble. Look at it this way. Uh, I drove here today. There were speed limits, speed limit signs. I didn't speed. Did I want to speed? Sure, but I didn't. The law doesn't keep me from wanting to. All right. And so what does Jesus do? He comes in and he takes these desires and he helps us want to do right. He wants us to want to be good. It's, um, it's a beautiful thing, really. So God took care of this. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right. There's a righteous requirement of the law. Are you and I going to meet it? Well, if you're talking about precision obedience, and if you're talking about always having everything right and doing everything right, no, no, not a one of us. No, not one. Jesus did that for us. That's, it's a gift. He didn't come down here and live in the flesh without sin, just to look at us and say, you idiots, I told you, you could do it. I'm proof. And now that I have lived without sin, you are condemned because it's obvious that it's possible, but you didn't pull it off. Can you read the Gospels and see, ever see Jesus acting like that ever? In fact, if you read the Gospels, and I really encourage you to immerse yourself in those, <coughs> go through and notice the very people he touched, the very people he welcomed, the very people he sought out, and the very people he brought into the community were the very people that in most flocks, the 99 sheep will kick that one out. See, a lot of times the one sheep that's lost is not because they wandered off, but it was because the 99 kicked them out. Jesus went out there and got that one and brought it back. Even in the selection of the apostles, if you ever wondered how long, how much sleep Matthew got the first few weeks because Matthew was a tax collector therefore he was a collaborator with Rome but when Jesus said follow me there were already a couple zealots standing behind him you already had James and John these sons of thunder zealots carried concealed weapons and they beat up and killed collaborators with Rome and Jesus is saying hey Matthew join us I bet those first few nights, Matthew slept with one eye open, making sure that he knew where James and John were. But Jesus bring, brings us in. He doesn't say, once you're all clean and perfect, you can be with us. No, a, it is truly a motley crew. Sorry to bring up the rock group. All of you under 40 are going, who? Maybe under 50. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. So that's actually really, really good. It's very plain, I think. If you're always set on you, know, how can I rob something? You're gonna find ways to rob. If you're always thinking about how can I have sex with something? You're gonna find a way to do that. 
But if you have your mind set on how can I clothe this homeless person? How can I feed this hungry person? How can I make my wife have a happy day, pleasant and unburdened? How can I raise my children in a way that they, they get to rejoice in being who they are? You'll get to do those things. Uh, again, other people have free will. It could be that your kids don't want to cooperate with you if that happens. But you have your mind set on something else. Now, please, please remember, this is not a discrete unit. It's part of a bigger book. And the shadow of First and Second Corinthians is hovering over it. But also the shadow of Romans 7. Another, another we call it, chapter seven, when it's just part of a long narrative. Our minds are set on what the spirit desires. Do this with your finger now and move it back over here and look and see what he says in chapter seven. While our spirit is set and our mind is set, our bodies and our pure humanity will foul us up continually. So this isn't in chapter eight, all of a sudden calling for you to walk around like, oh, no. It knows we're not capable of doing that. The mind is governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. I mean, how many illustrations could we use of this? My son once when he was, um, I think he was a sophomore, maybe a freshman in high school, and we were driving once and he said he, he just didn't really understand why his friends always fussed and fought with the parents. He says, I don't really get it. It just seems like that would make your life a lot harder if you always enter the room ready to disagree and fuss. I'm just smiling, thinking, I don't know whether it was me or Cammy did something right, but we did all right with this one. Um, both of our kids are now grown with kids of their own and doing great. Thank you, Jesus. But it's very true. If you enter the room with, okay, then that's what you're going to get. Your eyes are on death. Your eyes are on conflict. That's what you're going to get. We live in a culture where people look for any reason to be offended. It's what a sad way to live. Now I'm aware I'm saying that as a white man. Uh, traditionally, uh, white men have been in positions of power and privilege, and um, all the white privilege has now become this, it means nothing when it means everything. Um, and I'm aware that I, I was born on second base, basically, and that there are some things that were probably easier for me. And certainly, being born to parents that were Christian, a mother and a father who raised me and were concerned about doing the right thing, that that probably put me to third base right there without any of my efforts. I get that, I do. But guess what? Even people who are privileged can, can walk around trying to find ways to be offended. If you don't believe any of this, pick a race and a gender and follow on Twitter. You're gonna see all of them are offended. Paul says, don't do that. Don't look for ways to be offended. By the way, I will get emails on this. Uh, people that are very, very disappointed with me about this, that, and the other, and they're, they're, most of them will not say they were offended. What they will say is, that was offensive to, and they'll name a different group. Guess what? You don't have to walk around being offended for other people. 
if they're offended, they can talk. They're people. You're not the big savior. Let them talk. All right. Gotten in trouble? You know, I'm all right with that. I am. Gonna be 65 next month. I'll probably be dead before long. I'm half dirt already. So let's just go, right? Let's not be offended. And by the way, if you disagree with me, that doesn't offend me. Um, the law, mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. This is where some Calvinists jump in and say, see, see, there are some people that are born unable to know. As long as you are focused on the flesh, you cannot see God in grace. You, um, you just can't. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And again, it's because they're aiming in the wrong direction. They're not looking at Jesus. They're not asking, seeking, knocking. That focus forward. They're not seeing that. He's talking here to the church in Rome that, that he's never met. He didn't start this church. He's after Corinth. He, he needs to get this stuff down and out there. So you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. Realm of. Good, good. All right. We've been brought in. It doesn't mean we're perfect citizens of this realm, but we have been brought in. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And in, in anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And again, people try to then say, well, if you worship like this, then you have the spirit of Christ. And if you call your minister by this name, then you have this. And it just goes on and on. But remember that baptized into Christ in Romans 6 and Galatians 3. Both of them say that you'll get the spirit. Now, there are those who believe that the spirit baptism is a separate event and will be uh, manifested in, in certain spiritual gifts. And that's not our subject today, but I understand that. I want you to know that I do know uh, wonderful people who are smart and who are my friends who believe that. And, and I'm not there. They know that and they love me too. All right. But we all agree that we're in the realm of the spirit because we've been baptized into Christ. All right. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, in order you're still a mess, read chapter 7, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? It's not ours. We can try, and we can, we can actually pull off some pretty good righteousness for limited amounts of time, but it's Christ's righteousness that saves us. And that doesn't mean then that we sit back and go, cool, we'll just sin. We covered that in Romans 6. So you might need to go back if you've missed that one. It was just last week, I believe. We did uh, 6 and 7. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Oh boy, that just answered it. We are not saved by precision, obedience, and precision belief. We are saved by the Spirit of God, which is the gift of Christ. And he has the power to do it because he even raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is available to us. Yay. And our safe harbor has exploded in growth. It is uh, now in 18 countries. I believe we're in 58 cities in Texas. In every state except North Dakota. 
and um, seriously, we're going to have to send one somebody up there just to check in for North Dakota. We probably have some some hidden members there, you know. I don't know behind the snow curtain, and and yes, that was unkind. Sorry. Um, but when we celebrate the birthday here on December fifth this year, I can truly say I didn't do this, and I fought it. I didn't believe it would work. I was having friends shoved me into it and spend the best year of my life, period. Once again, showing my flesh is a mess. My mind will not go where God's mind is going. But as long as I stay in the realm, stay in the room with Jesus and try to get close to him, he'll get you where you need to be, where he needs you to be. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Let's go through this. You're not under obligation. I can remember being a, a young teenager and in a room with a bunch of lads. And I was always, I never fit in with any group because we moved all the time. I wasn't from anywhere in particular. I was always the outside guy. And I was always the guy that had to dress up to go to school because uh, my parents didn't allow the jeans and didn't allow t-shirts and certainly nothing like long hair. Um, in fact, my hair right now is longer than anything it was allowed to be back then. But in the room and they pull out the, uh, the alcohol. Now we're all underage there. But I want to be with the lads. I want, I want to know something. When they're talking football, we, we didn't watch football, so I wasn't, I didn't know any, I don't know the difference between a quarterback and a fullback at that time. Uh, and I, I could not be accepted. And my, I wanted to be accepted, but then it comes out. And I know it's wrong, and I know there's trouble. And so whenever it comes to me, I just say, no, thank you. Now, did the rest of the, the lads in the room go, well, that's all right then. We respect your your decision. Oh, no. It's, oh, what's wrong? You afraid? You afraid? You afraid? Is it, Are you, you, you're afraid of your mommy? And just on and on. You know what it's like. One of them finally says, you're just afraid to make your own decisions. And I said, and you are just seemingly blind to the fact that I just did. I'm not under obligation. I'm not under obligation to take that from you. My wife and I are recently uh, spending a week on the beach. You know, of course, at our age, that means under big umbrellas. Young couple just sat right next to us, started talking. They were from Boston. They wanted to know everything about us. It was, it was one of those bizarre but beautiful times, mainly bizarre. Um, and they, they had, I didn't know this is a, a thing. They had a box, like a wine box. You see those in the shops, but it was a box of margaritas. Now it's warm, maybe even a bit hot because we're out there in 90 degree temperatures and they're pouring in the pot and they're, they're, they're trying to be friendly and offer us. And we keep saying no. And they're just going, well, well, why wouldn't you? I said, we don't have to. You know, we're not opposed if you want to have a drink. We're not, but we, we, uh, we're very disciplined people. If we're going to make that decision, we're going to make it for ourselves. 
and they're they're just getting they're moving on past buzzed at this stage and i said you know i've never been drunk in my life and the jaws dropped and why because i'm not obligated to be i don't have to i get to decide that all the time you know on all the clickbait you will not believe what happened to this this person own that it's it's all like i better click i'm not obligated you'd better be angry about this i receive emails going after me because you didn't comment on this thing that happened in this city or that city or the other no no i didn't why because i live here and i'm working for jesus here i'm not under obligation to tell you where i stand on every political moral or ethical position i'm obligated to talk to you about jesus and to serve you with the love of god that's my obligation you're not obligated by the flesh anymore so don't live like that those that are led by the spirit are the children spirit of god are the children of god the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again hallelujah churches are you listening the spirit of jesus does not lead you into into slavery to where you live in fear of upsetting the master in this place god and him punishing you not with whips and chains but with hell no we have a good father don't know what your father was like on earth the this is a good father. The spirit testifies. We can call him Abba, father, Papa. If we're children, we're then heirs, co uh, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, which is bizarre. Jesus is sharing his inheritance with us, not as the chief inheritor, but sharing it all. Wow. Now, Paul does say you will have to share in his sufferings to share in his glory. You're gonna to have to act like part of the family. Um, many of you will have seen it by now because this is pre-recorded a wee bit ahead of time, but Apple TV has another Tom Hanks movie out and uh, they put out two now that are just outstanding, but completely different. Uh, the first one, he was a, a commander of merchant marine ships trying to get them through uh, during World War II and it was very intense. This one, called Finch uh, is about a man who lives in a world after the sun has gone nuts with a huge solar flare. It's burned out all of the electricity and systems. So we're covered in ash, radiation, you know, and such. And it's, it's not a political statement at all. It's, this is entirely generated by the sun, but he builds a robot. And I, I'm not going to do any spoilers here, but the robot, Jeff, is a teenager. Watch the movie. The expressions, the, uh, the body language, the reactions, it's a teenager. Hey, teens, I'm not knocking you, and I'm not talking bad about you. All you know about who you are right now is that you're not mom and dad, and I get that. And so you're trying on different identities. That's your job. That's cool. But during the process, remember that you will have very few permanent relationships in your life. 
and your family is permanent. Even marriage, every marriage ends in death or divorce. Family is still there. You're going to have to deal with it. So when you enter the room, you don't have to act like everything in there is just roses and unicorns. You, but you don't walk into the room going, no, let's not make it harder than it has to be. All right. You get, you get to make some choices. Paul then talks about um, this, this world in which we find ourselves, that our present sufferings cannot be compared with the glory that is coming for us. But creation was subjected to frustration. And here's where I really, I need to kind of warn you that we try to go through these chapters fairly quickly. Because when you're doing the entire New Testament in the order in which it was written, that's going to require years. And we're not doing a chapter a week as a rule. We try to do two. We're not going to do two today. In fact, we're not going to get through this one. Because I want you to think about what the universe is going through. If the creation of its, uh, I'm sorry, verse 20. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There, there's a, a theory of heaven, which it seems new, because I certainly didn't know anything about it until about 20 years ago. Uh, but the fact there, there have always been people who have taught it that heaven is not up there somewhere in the clouds, but rather a renewed earth. And we've talked about this a few times. I will confess to you that while I don't really have a firm opinion either way, this passage seems to indicate that this planet is it. And I don't know how God's going to make that work. I really don't. The physics of that just astound me. But he is God, and his physics are a lot more comp. I doubt that I could do the math, all right? So he's not going to share it with me. One day creation will be liberated. If you, let me explain it to you this way. If you could hear the things around you, you would go insane within minutes. For just the soil outside my office contains billions of creatures that are dying. Their death will break down soil, which is made from other dead things, that's laying on top of limestone, which is just the accumulation of quadrillions of skeletons of things that died, so that a flower can come up, and we can enjoy that flower, and it will die, and if it could talk during the dying process, it would be insanity. Every riverbank would be endless howling and screeching in pain. I'm glad we don't have to hear that, but it's a reality. When you look up at the stars and you see a little bit of fuzziness up there, well, that, those are billions of stars. That's why it looks a little foggy. You can't see the separation. They're exploding. They're imploding. They're impacting and being impacted. 
glad you can't hear it. It's even the people say, don't you wish your dog could talk? No, no, not at all. Not a bit. It would stare at you all day long. Throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. No. But the world is suffering. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, following Jesus doesn't mean it's going to be okay here. It'll absolutely be okay in eternity. But it won't straighten your teeth. It won't make your kids behave. It won't make your spouse love you. It won't make your neighbors agree with you where the property line is. It won't fix politics. It will not rearrange Congress to your liking. And you will not avoid diseases. Cancer is almost non-existent in my family. Uh, but other diseases, heart failure, congestive heart failure. My father had Alzheimer's. I don't know of any others in my family directly who did, but he did. Uh, other disease, I'm going to get those. You know, we can inoculate, we can do our best, we can wash our hands, but we're on the planet, we're going to die. And we're not going to do really well a lot of times here. However, we will be redeemed. And that's what Paul's saying, hang in here. In this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. I, I agree. Paul could have said that a little better. He's just saying, we do walk, faith is not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we hope but we don't have yet. Uh, as a poet said, it's good that a man's reach exceeds his grasp. In other words, um, right, I can reach and touch something that I cannot grab because my reach is farther than my grab, right? Or, or else what's a heaven for, as a poet said. We hope and we drive forward in that optimism and realism. It is a mixture. We never trade one for the other. Optimism, but realism. I pray that I have many years of working for Jesus and that people like you support us so that we can continue to do what we do. But I'm realistic as well. It won't happen forever. And I've already talked to several men and women saying, be prepared. Get to know these people. Join us on videos. Help us to be ready for when the time comes. Someone needs to be slot man or woman, whoever's called to God, needs to jump in here and start leading. And I'd love it if it was a team of men and women. That would just be brilliant. But then again, who am I to say? I'm not in charge. We hope but we're also realistic. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this, but I also have to be realistic. We've gone 40 minutes and that's as long as I can keep you and, and, I, and be fair. So we're, we're gonna put a pen in it and we're gonna start on verse 26 next time we are here. May God bless you. You mean the world to us. 
Thank you for your love for Arshi. We love